way back on the first Sunday of 2018. It seems like a, a, a long time ago now. Today we wrap it up. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Ephesus, if you remember, was our first stop. It was called First Love Again. Smyrna was next. We talked about true riches. Pergamos was part three. Remember the title? This one sticks out to me. I know where you live. Thyatira was the fourth part. We dealt with the false teaching of Jezebel and her seducing servants. Sardis was the church of the living dead. Part five. And last week we visited Philadelphia, church with an open door. That brings us to today, to the end of our tour of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Our final leg of the journey takes us to a church commonplace and unexceptional in every way. It was a church just taking up space, occupying, occupying a prime corner on the block of First Avenue and Main Street, any town USA, but not making much of a difference. It may be a typical church of today. It may be more like than unlike most of the churches in our town. It's a church that doesn't upset anyone. They don't rock the boat. They don't offend. In fact, they go out of their way to make everyone happy. And to some degree, they're successful. At least in the eyes of the world. Attendance is pretty good. They manage to come up with the money they need for the projects they undertake. The bake sales, the rummage sales, and all the other fundraisers keep the cash flowing and the people busy. But all in all, they are undistinguished. They preach a social gospel and have a cause or two, but they've drifted from the true gospel. They're no longer in the business of winning souls. They're not hot and they're not cold. They have no gospel passion and they offer no spiritual refreshing. They're undistinguished, lukewarm. And we read about this church and the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, verse 14. By the way, I want to say hi to Larry Anton, Corrine's son, who came home after Corrine took her fall last week, and she's in the rehab facility in Billings Park. So Larry, nice to, nice to have you this morning. Thanks for coming home for your mom. We love your mom, and I, and I know you know that. And uh, she's a tremendous gal, extremely resilient. Uh, she's, a, she's a hurting unit. And uh, we continue to pray for her. Verse 14 of Revelation 3. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, 
and knowest not. You don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, it says in verse 19. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. And one final time, verse 22, He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea was the chief city of the Lycus River Valley region. Laodicea was originally known as Diospolis, or the city of Zeus. Of the seven churches found in Revelation 2 and 3, Laodicea is the only church that Jesus had nothing good to say about. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. The guy that even Jesus can't find something good to say about. Like the church at Sardis, Laodicea had drifted into complacency. But the, the Laodiceans were not only complacent, they were spiritually arrogant as well. The church could not see its own desperate need, although many of the members may have been materially rich, they claimed to be spiritually wealthy. They had no idea that they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Laodicea's spiritual works are described as neither cold nor hot. It's really the tale of three cities, Hierapolis, Colossus, and Laodicea, all located about 100 miles west of Ephesus. Hierapolis was on the opposite side of the valley, about six miles from Laodicea, and just a few miles up the river we find Colossus. Hierapolis was a popular tourist attraction because of its hot springs and medicinal spas that supposedly possessed healing properties. Colossus, on the other hand, was known for its cold springs and its pure, refreshing drinking water. Laodicea wanted to capitalize on its location between these two attractions, and so they built magnificent aqueducts to transport the hot water from Hierapolis and the cold water from Colossus. Seemed like a good idea. But by the time the water had traveled the distance from its source to Laodicea, it had grown lukewarm. When I sit at my desk, I typically have a cup of hot coffee and a bottle of cold water. 
over time, they both drift to room temperature. It's a natural process. You don't have to do anything to the coffee. If you don't do anything to the coffee, if you don't do anything to the water, they, they drift naturally to room temperature. The coffee is good hot, the water is good cold, but both are repulsive at room temperature. Now, you don't have to be a Bible college student to make the spiritual correlations here. Hierapolis was known for its therapeutic hot springs. Colossus was renowned for its refreshing cold springs. But by the time the water arrived at Laodicea, it was tepid and tasteless and, in fact, revolting. Like my lukewarm coffee and my room temperature water, it had lost any redemptive qualities that it once possessed. Now, as believers, we're to be refreshing and therapeutic, not lukewarm and unenthusiastic. We're not to be tepid and tasteless. We're to bring something beneficial to the table. Is that right? Now, can that be said of you? Are you a blessing in the workplace? Do you bring life to your neighborhood? Are you an asset to the kingdom? Are you a helper, a giver, an encourager, a comforter, a listener, a prayer? Are you a source of wisdom, hope, and blessing? Or are you uninvolved and distant? Many people, maybe people don't even know you're there. Your room temperature, undistinguished, lukewarm. The city of Laodicea was known for its prosperous banking industry, its booming textile and wool trade, and a medical school famous for having developed ointment for the eyes. The economy was booming, and the church was oblivious to its own complacency. Their bellies were full, but they were unaware of the spiritual famine that they were in the midst of. Although many of the members may have been materially rich, the wealth that they actually claimed for themselves was spiritual. They were not only far from God and heading in the wrong direction, the real deception is that they thought they were on the cutting edge. They had mistaken busyness for being in the center of God's will. They thought that just because they were doing something, they were doing the right thing. They were getting kudos for their social work, but all the while, God was giving them failing grades for the kingdom difference they were failing to make. You know, I believe that as a church, we need to be involved in the community. And we are. We have a mercy fund through which we help people in need. Remember Mayor Payne at the last Freedom Rally, he talked about the Mercy Fund. He had heard about the Mercy Fund from other things that he was involved in. He heard about the Mercy Fund here at Central Assembly, commended us for that. We take part in uh, cleanup projects in the spring in particular. We do that as a church. We've adopted the 
Park Heritage uh, Park on the corner. We've adopted that as our own. We have a food shelf as a way of, of helping the poor, which I believe is important and, and very close to the heart of God. But the end game for us is always the gospel. Either directly or indirectly, the goal is to earn an opportunity to share our story, to connect others with God's story. The church of Laodicea had forgotten that. It's called mission drift. And they're not alone. Many churches in 2018 have drifted from the true gospel to a social gospel. They take up space. They occupy a nice corner lot. But they're undistinguished. The modern church does not show forth the power of Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's good enough in its own strength. They strive for diversity and equality and tolerance, and they have convinced themselves that they're doing God's work. In reality, they've drifted from God's work. The metaphor of the water supply speaks of the barrenness of God's church. The church is enveloped in human ways and human aspirations, not, uh, not unlike the water on its way to Laodicea. The church has drifted from its source. They're wallowing in the lukewarm, tepid, repulsive, repugnant, stagnant swamp of human effort that leaves us undistinguished. It's exactly what Jesus was trying to convey to the woman at the well in John 4. She was busy with her life. She was busy with her stuff. And Jesus said, guess what? There's more. He said unto her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says unto you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. And whosoever drinks of the water, he says in verse 14, that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing forth unto everlasting life. The modern church is very busy but undistinguished. We're occupied with a social gospel while the true gospel is neglected. The water of our life has grown tepid. We're not therapeutic and we're not refreshing. We're lukewarm and undistinguished. Jesus calls us to more. John 7, he says, He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly will flow living water. And then it says in verse 39, this he spoke of the Spirit. In these last days, Jesus implores us to get in the game. Behold, I stand at the door, it says in verse 20 of the verse that we read earlier, and I knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him, and he with me. And he offers us in verse 18 of Revelation 3, he offers to us very clear, very concise, very pragmatic, very practical counsel. In fact, that's how he starts out. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you. If Jesus was offering you counsel, 
I trust that you would take it. He says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now remember, Laodicea was a center of banking and finance. It was the, a hub of manufacturing in the clothing industry and it was known for its school of medicine in particular dealing with optics and with the eyes. So, so Jesus appeals first here to the financial mind. And he says, buy gold tried in the fire. It speaks of true faith unshaken by trial and adversity. Now listen to 1 Peter 1.7, which again is a, is a different verse than what we're reading from here, but the correlations are fascinating. This is 1 Peter 1.7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just gold. It's gold tried in the fire. And it's not just faith. It's, it's not just a mental ascent that God is. It's a faith tried in the fire of hardship and pain. It's a faith that prayed and didn't get the answer it hoped for. It's a faith that prayed and didn't get an answer at all. It's a faith that declared itself. And then it went through the, the famine and it experienced the drought and it saw its crops blighted by the east wind. It's a faith that's refined in the fire of adversity. It's a faith purified like gold in the refiner's fire. It's a faith that has survived the darkest of hours when the faint of heart returned to the world and medicated their hurt in the cesspool of sin and sold their sin, sold their soul to the devil a thousand times over. By gold tried in the fire, he says. By faith that will transcend your circumstances. Lay hold of true faith that is not tossed about by the winds of hardship and trial. By faith that is anchored in Jesus. Purchase faith that is unmovable and steadfast like Abraham who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body not dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto to Abraham as righteousness. That's the kind of faith you need to lay hold of. That's the kind of faith you need to purchase. And then Jesus counseled this fashion-rich region to buy white raiment. White raiment pictures being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 61 says, 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Our righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, and this ought to be of great comfort to you, our righteousness is something that we put on. When we submit ourselves to Him, when we repent of our sins, and and when we begin to live for Jesus, an amazing thing happens. We are declared righteous by an act of God. We are justified. If you are going about to establish your own righteousness, you will fall short. Instead, we're counseled by Jesus to buy white raiment that pictures the righteousness of Christ. We're told to stop going about to establish our own righteousness, but instead to put on the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith. Sometimes people say to me, well, how do you know this stuff? How do you know that's what it means? That's just how you interpret it. Revelation 19.8 And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the white linen is the righteousness of the saints. I don't have to interpret it. I just have to read it. And finally, number three, the center of quality optic care was told by Jesus to anoint their eyes with salve. This is a picture of the enlightenment that comes by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. We cannot attain it apart from an experience with God. Let me say that again. We cannot attain it without an experience with God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. But once we're born again, once our eyes are anointed with the salve of the Spirit, our whole worldview changes. Everything is turned upside down and inside out. We love our enemies. We pray for those who despitefully use us. We give away our money. We talk different. We think different. We act different. We love different. We come to life from the inside out. And how does it all happen? It happens as we encounter the Lord. It happens as we invite the Spirit of God into our life. It continues as we invest into the the things of God and the work of the kingdom. Psalm 19.8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's as though our eyes were anointed with salve and the scales began to fall off. Ephesians 1.18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of glory of His inheritance are in the saints. If Jesus offered you counsel, would you take it? Well, He does, and you should. I counsel thee to buy of me gold 
tried in the fire. That you may be rich in white raiment. That you may be clothed. And that the shame of your nakedness doesn't appear. And anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. Laodicea didn't need gold. They needed faith. Laodicea needed white clothes, the righteousness of Christ to cover its spiritual nakedness. The Laodicean church thought they could see, but they were groping in darkness. They thought they were rich and without any needs. But Christ counseled them to apply spiritual eye salve so that they could see how far they had fallen. They needed to be zealous and repent. The letter to the church of Laodicea pictures Christ as standing and knocking at the door, verse 20. Standing by a door is is a, a familiar biblical metaphor used several times. Jesus Uh, uses that same metaphor in the context of his disciples' urgent need to stay spiritually alert. In Mark 13, James pictured Christ as a judge standing at the door in James 5. Jesus spoke of his disciples as waiting expectantly for the Master so that they could open the door to him in Luke 12. And last week, we described ourselves as a church of the open door. Today, Jesus would say to us, Behold, I stand at the door. And I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll I'll come in and sup with him. I'll come in and fellowship with him. I'll come in and eat with him. Dream with him. Laugh with him problem solve with him plan with him minister with him love with him hurt with him what's required on on your part according to that do you remember open the door doesn't say for the elite Christians for those who really have it down If any man, if any man would open the door, in just a few moments, we're gonna, I'm gonna invite the Connect Group leaders to come and find a place to to pray, and then uh, we'll open the altars, and you can come up and you can just find a place at the altar to pray. Or you can have one of these connect group leaders pray with you if you have a need. Remember the beginning of the service. We talked about the heart and we talked about peeling back those layers and being vulnerable. It's all about opening the door, isn't it? Or we can say, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. That's what the Laodiceans said. I'm good. We're good. And Jesus said, "You, you don't even realize that you're miserable blind, poor, wretched, and naked. I wonder if you can be vulnerable today. Make your way to the front. Say, I'm hurting. I need a touch from God. I need direction. I need wisdom. There's sin in my life. I need to give my life to Jesus. Maybe that's you today. 
But I want to pray, and as I'm praying, maybe the Connect group leaders can come and find a place. When I say amen, the worship team will begin to play, and and, uh, you can find your way to the altar. And uh, Levi will dismiss you in a few moments. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word today. It's a, a sobering message, but it's very hopeful. It's very hopeful. The thought that I can just open the door and you will come in. It doesn't say I have to be any, in any certain spiritual condition. It doesn't say that I have to have read through the Bible in the last year. It just says open the door. Make yourself vulnerable. Let him in. Lord, I believe that there are those that are here today that have never let Jesus in. They may be leading a good life. They may be religious on some level. But they've never really let you in. I pray that today would be their day. Today would be the day that they would surrender. They would become vulnerable. They would lay it all on the altar. Make it all known to you. And you would begin your work in their heart and life. We buy gold tried in the fire. Speaks of a faith that can endure adversity. We put on white raiment. It speaks of the righteousness of Christ. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. And we anoint our eyes with eye salve that we might see what it is you have for us today. I pray that for our congregation. God, may we never become so busy that we forget you. May we never become so enamored with ourselves that we're not enamored with you anymore. May we never be lost in the social gospel and forget the true gospel. May it always be about you. May it always be about the cross. May it always be about the sin issue. May it always be about redemption. May it always be about the resurrection. 